0: Chapter Twenty Six of There and Back. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lisa Viado, Sugarland, Texas. There and Back by George MacDonald. Chapter Twenty Six. Richard and Alice. One evening, Richard went to see his grandfather and asked if he would allow him to give Miss Wilder a lesson in horseshoeing. She wanted, he said, to be able to shoe Miss Brown, or indeed any horse. Simon laughed heartily at the proposal. It was too great an absurdity to admit of serious objection. "'Ah, uh, you don't know Miss Wilder, grandfather,' said Richard. "'Of course not. Never an old man knew anything about a girl.' it's only the young fellows can fathom a woman having girls of his own blinds a man to the nature of them there's going to be a law passed against growing old it's an unfortunate habit the world's got into somehow and the young fellows are going to put a stop to it for fear of losing their wisdom as the blacksmith spoke he went on rasping and filing at a house door key fast in a vise on his bench and his words seemed to richard to fall from his mouth like the raspings from his rasp well grandfather said richard if miss wilder don't astonish you she'll astonish me have you ever seen her drive a nail boy not once but i am just as sure she will do it and better than any beginner you've seen yet well well lad we'll see we'll see she's welcome anyhow to come and have her try what day shall it be? That I can't tell yet. It makes me grin to think of them doll's hands with a great hoof in them. They are little hands. She's little herself. But they ain't doll's hands, grandfather. You should have seen her box Miss Vixen's ears for making a face at me. Her ears didn't take them for doll's hands. I'll be bound. The room rang again. Bring her when you like, lad said simon it was moonlight and when richard arrived at the lodgeless gate he saw inside it a few yards away seated on a stone the form of a woman he thought the first moment as was natural of barbara but the next he knew that this was something strange she sat in helpless hopeless attitude with her head in her hands a strange dismay came upon him at the sight of her his heart fluttered in a cage of fear he did not believe in ghosts if he saw one it would but show that sometimes when a person died there was a shadow left that was like him there might be millions of ghosts and no god the more what are we all but specters of the unknown what was death but a vanishing of the unknown what are the dead but vanishments yet he shuddered at the thought that he had actually come upon one of the dead that are still alive of whom once or twice in a long century one is met wandering vaguely about the world "'unable to find what used to make it home. "'He peered through the iron bars as into a charnel-house. "'One such wanderer was enough to make the whole vault of night a gaping tomb. "'Putting his key in the lock made a sharp little noise. "'The figure started up, her face gleaming white in the moon, "'but dropped again on her stone, unable to stand. "'Richard could not take his eyes off her. "'While closing the gate, he dared not turn his back to her, she sat motionless as before, her head in her hands, her elbows on her knees. He stood for a moment, staring and trembling. Then, with an effort of the will that approached agony, went toward her. As he drew nearer, he began to feel as if he had once known her. He must have seen her in London somewhere, he thought. But why was her shadow sitting there, the lonely, hostless guest of the night's caravansary? He went nearer. The form remained motionless. Something reminded him of Alice Manson. He laid his hand on the figure. It was a woman to the touch as well as to the eye, but not yet did she move an inch. He would have raised her face. Then she resisted. All at once, he was sure it was Alice. "'Alice!' he cried. "'Good God! Sitting in the cold night?' she made him no answer sat stone still what shall i do for you he said nothing she answered in a voice that might as well have been that of a specter leave me she added as with the last entreaty of despair you are in trouble alice he persisted why are you so far from home where's arthur what right have you to question me she returned almost fiercely none but that i am your brother's friend friend she echoed in a faint far-away voice you forget alice that i did all i could to be your friend and you would not let me she neither spoke nor moved her stillness seemed to say neither will i now where are you going he asked after a hopeless pause nowhere why did you leave london why should i tell you i think you will tell me i will not you know i would do anything for you i dare say you know i would i don't try me i will not her voice grew more and more faint and forced her words in it were very unlike don't go on like that alice you're not being reasonable pleaded richard oh do leave me alone i won't leave you as you please it's nothing to me alice why do you speak to me like that tell me what's wrong everything is wrong everybody is wrong the whole world is wrong her voice was a little stronger she raised herself and looked him in the face i hope not i hope it is why should you to think things were right would be too terrible i say everything's wrong what's to be done then sighed richard i must get out of it all but how there is only one way what is that everybody knows alice cried richard nearly in despair like herself are you out of your mind pretty nearly why shouldn't i be there are plenty of us alice if you won't tell me what is the matter with you if you won't let me help you i will sit down by you till the morning what if i drop then i will carry you away the sooner you drop the better her resolution seemed to break i ain't eaten a mouthful to-day she said my poor girl promise me to wait till i come back here put on my coat she was past resisting more and allowed him to button his coat about her but he was in great perplexity where was he to get anything for her and how was she to live till he brought it it was terrible to think of alice with nothing to eat and no refuge but a stone in the moonlight this was what her religion had done for alice miss wilder's god he said to himself with contempt he's well enough for the wind and the stars and the moonlight but for human beings for alice for creatures dying of hunger what a mockery if he were there it would be a sickness to talk of him beauty is beauty but for anything behind it huh. he stood a moment hesitating alice swayed on her seat and would have fallen he caught her and in the act remembered a little cottage a hut rather down a lane a short way off he took her in his arms and started for it she was dreadfully thin but a strong man cannot walk very fast carrying a woman however light she be and she had half come to herself before he reached the cottage richard dear richard she murmured at his ear where are you carrying me are you going to kill me or are you taking me home with you do set me down where's arthur i will let you be good to me i will i can't hold out for ever she seemed to be dreaming apparently about their meeting in regent street or perhaps she was delirious from want of food he walked on without attempting to answer her some great wrong had been done her and his heart sank within him for he believed in no judgment no final setting right of wrongs he knew of nothing better than that the wronged and the wronger would cease together certainly if his creed represented fact the best thing in existence is that it has no essential life in it, that it cannot continue, that it must cease. The good of living is that we must die. The hope of death is the inspiration of Buddhism. His heart ached with pity for the girl. His help, his tenderness expanded and folded her in the wings of a shelter that was not empty because his creed was false she belongs to me he said to himself the world has thrown her off be it lawful i take up what's cast away here's the one treasure a human being the best thing in the world i will cherish it poor girl she shall at least know one man's refuge the cottage was a wretched place but a laborer and his family lived in it he knocked many times a sleepy voice answered at last, and presently a sleepy-eyed man half-opened the door. "'What's the deuce of a row?' he grunted. "'Here's a young woman, half dead with hunger and cold,' said Richard. "'You must take her in, or she'll die.' "'Can't you take her somewhere else?' "'There's nowhere else near enough. Come, come, let us in. You wouldn't have her die on your doorstep.' i dunno as i see the sense of bringing her here answered the man sleepily we ain't out of the hunger woods ourselves yet wife here's a chap as says he's picked up a young woman um a dyin' hunger tain't likely be it in this land o' liberty likely enough giles where the liberty's mainly to starve replied a woman's voice let him bring the poor thing in there ain't nowhere to put her and there ain't nothing to give her but she can't lie out in the wide world ain't you got a drop of milk asked richard milk echoed the woman it's weeks and weeks the children ain't tasted of it the wonder to me is that the cows let a poor man milk em richard set alice on her feet but she could not stand alone had he taken his arm from around her she would have fallen in a heap but the woman, while she spoke, had been getting a light, and now came to the door with a candle end. Her husband kept prudently in her shadow. "'Poor thing, poor thing! She be far gone,' she said, when she saw her. "'Bring her in, sir. There's a chair she can sit upon. "'I'll get her a drop of tea. That'll be better'n milk. There's next to no work.' and the squire he be mad with jowls because of some rabbit or other they say he snared which they did say it was a hare i don't know take the skin off and who's to tell one from t'other i do know i was right glad aunt for the childer and if the parson tell me my man'll be damned for hare or rabbit and the childer starve i'll give him a bit of my mind no sir says i god ain't none of your sort says i and perhaps the day may be at hand when the rich and the poor will have a turn o a change together leastways there's something like it somewheres in the bible says i and if it be in the bible says i it's likely to be true for the bible do take the part o the rich mostly she was a woman who liked to hear herself talk and so spoke as one listening to herself like most people whether they talk or not she got her ideas second hand but Richard was no wise inclined to differ with what she said about the Bible, for he knew little more and no better about it than she. Had Parson Wingfold, who did know the Bible as few parsons know it, heard her, he would have told her that by search express and minute he had satisfied himself that there was not a word in the Bible against the poor, although a multitude of words against the rich. The sins of the poor are not once mentioned in the Bible; the sins of the rich very often the rich may think this hard but i state the fact and do not much care what they think when they come to judge themselves and others fairly they will understand that god is no respecter of persons not favoring even the poor in his cause richard set alice on the one chair by the poor little fire the woman was coaxing to heat the water she had put on in a saucepan alice stared at the fire but hardly seemed to see it the woman tried to comfort her Richard looked round the place. The man was in the bed that filled one corner. A mattress in another was crowded with children. There was no spot where she could lie down. I shall be back as soon as ever I can," he said, and left the cottage. End of chapter twenty-six. Recording by Lisa Viado, Sugarland, Texas.